Let's pray. Father God, as we look to your word, we ask that you will speak to us. Help us to open our hearts and allow you to come in to make our hearts your home, your dwelling, and to allow us to be open to the changes that you will do in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would like to begin by asking each one of us a question. The question that I actually asked the children just now is what do we, or rather what do you, often pray about? The truth is, you know, we all pray about what concerns our hearts, what concerns us. You know, we rarely, or in fact, we never pray for matters that does not concern us. You know, the moment, you know, the moment something concerns us, concerns our family, concerns our friends, concerns our neighbourhood, concerns our community, our society and our country, we will pray, correct or not? The recent general election was an evidence that our country's well-being was in each one of our hearts. The way and the manner in which people came together to pray was a proof that our country's welfare was our top concern at that time. So we pray for matters that concerns us. The content, you know, the content of our prayers reflect to a certain extent our anxious thoughts. Besides that, our prayers also express our deepest desires, it express our hopes, it express our wishes. And so the passage that we are looking at this morning, or this today, is taken from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And this passage is a prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian church. And verses 14 and 15... says this. It says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, what reason could that be? In fact, Paul also begins chapter 3. If you look at verse 1, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, he also begins with the same three words. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. For this reason. Now, what reason could that be? Paul seemed to have a reason for saying all that he says in Ephesians chapter 3. He seems to have a reason for praying the way he prays in verses 14 to 21. He seems to have a certain conviction that undergirds his prayer for the Ephesians. And we get a clue of what that reason could be or what that conviction could be if we look at the previous chapter, Ephesians chapter 2. In chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul speaks about how 
we are made alive in Christ. And he says that if we look at verses, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3, he says a few things. If you look at the words in green, he says, We were all dead in our transgressions and sin. And then he says that we all used to live and follow the ways of this world. In verse 3, he also says that we gratify the cravings of our sinful nature and we follow its desires and its thoughts. So Paul says all these things about our human nature. You know, I, I, and, and he says this, right, that our transgressions and our sins leads us to, to death. For we were all dead in our transgressions and in our sins. You know, I came across this illustration some time ago, which illustrates to us about how transgression and sins will lead us to death. Because sometimes we think that uh, yeah, a little white lie here and there won't die. One, uh, where can die? Can die or not? <laughs> Cannot die. Uh. So, I came across this illustration, which I think it really illustrates. So, when you, as you hear this illustration, you need to imagine a bit, okay? Imagine. Okay, so this is how the illustration goes. It says, there was a hunter who wanted to hunt for wolves in the winter. All he did was to take a thin, sharp knife and dip it into an animal blood. So he has a container which is full of animal blood and then he dips it in. And he dips it again and again and again until it becomes something like a popsicle. You know what a popsicle is? So it's not a strawberry popsicle, rah, although it's the same colour. It is a blood popsicle. And so he takes this, because winter, huh, it's winter. He takes this and then he plants the pops, popsicle into the, the snowy ground. He plants it, like he plants it. And then he just leaves, leaves. The wolves would then smell the blood. And it, as it comes closer and closer, he sees the popsicle. And soon, it begins to leak those popsicles. Like eating ice cream, right? Leaks the popsicle. And because it is blood, they leak harder and harder. And because it's blood, they leak even more aggressively. They become so engrossed in leaking the popsicles that they are not aware that there is a knife beneath those popsicles. And as they continue to leak and leak, their tongue gets slashed by the knife and the wolves would eventually bleed to death. Friends, that is exactly what transgression and sin does to us. Like how Paul says here in chapter 2, we gratify the cravings of our sinful nature. We follow its desires and its thoughts. We keep licking and licking. And because of that, 
we are all dead in our transgression and in our sins. But, but if you look at verse 4, it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So we were all once dead, but because of God's love, we are made alive with Christ. The second part of Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how, uh, speaks about oneness and unity through Christ. And so Paul says that Christ himself, through his body, he has removed the barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Christ, through his work on the cross, he has brought both the Jews and the Gentiles together and they have formed in himself one new community. That's what it says here. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. And then continues on. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So through Christ, there's this new community is formed. A community whereby there are no segregation, no separation. A community whereby all becomes God's people and all form one household, one family. And this oneness, no, this one family is precisely the reason why Paul prays in the manner in which he prays. That's why it says here, For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So that's the reason. And the subsequent verses actually tells us the content of that prayer. In this prayer, we find that Paul prays for two main aspects in this content too. The first aspect that we find in this prayer is that Paul prays to be strengthened with power in the inner being. Paul prays to be strengthened with power in their inner being. If you look at this verse, the verse that our children read to us just now, I pray that out of his glorious richness, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So here we, we find that Paul prays for power. You see, power can be dangerously powerful. Power is something that can be used to manipulate people. It can be used to control people. Many people pursue power. 
and they pursue it for many, for various different reasons. If you look at Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, one example we find is in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 24, we find the story of Simon the sorcerer. Okay, Simon the sorcerer. Now, this guy, Simon, through his tricks, he actually amazed many people in the city and, and people started following him. You know, he boasted that he was someone great and, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and they said this of him. He said, this man is the divine power known as the great power. Okay, you find it in Acts chapter 8. So people followed him because they were amazed by him. And it was during, at that time, that Philip was proclaiming about Christ. And these people, including Simon himself, including Simon himself, believed and was baptized. Acts 8.13. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Now, one of the great signs that Simon witnessed was how people received the Holy Spirit. So Simon saw how when, you know, Peter and John came and when they placed their hands on people's head, people received the Holy Spirit. And so he was, he thought to himself, hmm, perhaps I can buy this power. And so if you look at verses, eight, I'm sure I have it. Yes, I have it. Verses 18 and 19, he says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. What essentially Simon was doing was that he was pursuing power. He wanted the power of the Spirit so that he could maintain his position in the community. His heart was not right. So people, people do pursue power. The element of power is dangerously attractive. But here, when Paul prays for power, he wasn't just praying for any power. He wasn't just praying for power so that people could, you know, manipulate others or do all sorts of funny things. He wasn't praying for that. He prays very specifically for power in their inner being. He places great importance in the whole area of inner being. That's the concern that Paul has for the Ephesian church, their inner life. And Paul is concerned about, you know, his, their spiritual life. He's concerned about the heart. If you look at the verse again, it says this. And the reason is, I, is this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What, is, what exactly is Paul praying here? 
Paul, you see, Paul is actually speaking to the Ephesians church who are already believers. They are already believers. And as a believer, isn't it understood that Christ, through the Spirit, has already taken up his place in our hearts? The moment we become, we become a believer. That's what it says in John, right? In John chapter 14, verses 23. Jesus himself says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So isn't it understood that Christ comes and makes his home in our hearts? Why then does Paul pray that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith? Isn't Christ already doing that? Now we need to understand that the word dwell here is a strong one. And if we check the word out in the dictionary, it carries a very deep meaning. Okay. The word dwell here, it means to settle in, to inhabit, and to always be present. Paul's prayer is that Jesus Christ may take up his residence in the heart of believers. As they grow in their trust and as they grow in their faith, Christ continues to be present in their hearts. There's this book that I read. Uh, it's written by D.A. Carson. So he wrote this book titled A Call to Spiritual Reformation. The whole book is a book about Paul's press. What the writer did was, what D.A. Carson did was, he took all the press that Paul prayed throughout the scripture, all, all the press that you find in scripture that Paul prays, and then he expounded on them. And one of the chapters in the book, in this book, deals with this particular prayer, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, the prayer that we are looking at this morning. And in this chapter, this particular chapter, D.A. Carson gives an analogy to illustrate what it means to have Christ dwell in our hearts through faith. So he says this, and I quote him, right? He says this, I quote him. He says, picture... Imagine, okay, picture a newly married couple carefully marshalling up enough resources to put together a down payment. They buy this house. Okay. They buy this house, they put the down payment, they buy this house, recognizing full well that it needs a fair bit of work. You know, because they cannot stand the black and silver wallpaper in the master bedroom. It's a black one. Okay. Then, the basement is full of junk. The kitchen looks rather funny. The roof is leaking. The door is shaking. 
The electrical box is too small. The lighting in the bathroom is not bright enough. But still, this house is this couple's first home and they are grateful. Months slip by and then the years go by. The black and silver wallpaper that they dislike has been replaced with a beautiful pastel pattern wallpaper. The kitchen has been remodeled to suit the couple's needs. The roof is no longer leaking. It has been repaired. Better still, as the family grows, they cleared all, you remember there was junk in the basement? They cleared all the junk at the basement and added a couple of rooms. And they even added a small wing to serve as the study area. The grounds are neatly trimmed and they now have a beautiful garden. 25 years down the road, the husband one day says to the wife, you know, my dear, I really like it here. This place suits us. Everywhere we look, we see the result of our own labor. This house has been shaped to our needs and taste, and I really feel comfortable. This couple, who eventually started a family, has settled into this home. 25 years after that, the husband says this. Likewise, my dear friends, when Christ, by his Spirit, takes up residence within us in our hearts, you know, when Christ comes in, into our hearts, he finds, just like how this analogy of the house, he finds that our hearts are leaking. He finds that he, we have quite a bit of junk in the basement of our hearts. He finds that the wallpaper of our hearts is not pleasant to look at at all. And so, just like what this couple did, Jesus Christ, when he comes into our hearts, he sets about turning our hearts into a residence which suits him. He sets about turning our hearts into a home in which he takes full residence. He, Christ, does the cleaning, he does the repair, and he does the renovation of our hearts. And his one and only reason in doing so is that he may take up residence in our hearts as we exercise and grow in our faith in him. You know, it, you know, friends, I think, I think you all can identify with this statement. It's said that you know, when people take up long-term residence in a particular place, their presence eventually characterizes that dwelling. Do you believe in that? If you stay long enough in a place, that place 
actually characterize you. You, you characterize that, that place. In the same manner, when Christ takes up long-term residence, not short-term, huh? long-term residence in our hearts, we eventually will grow to be Christ-like in the way that we live our lives. And so in order for us to be able to grow, in order for us to be able to go through that renovation of heart, we need to be strengthened with power. And Paul knows that, therefore he prays for that power. The power to be strengthened in our inner beings so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. And so friends, if we desire Christ to take up long-term and permanent residence in our hearts, if we so do, then let us pray like how Paul prays. Let us pray that we may be strengthened with power in our inner being. Secondly, we find that Paul prays that we might have the power to grasp the greatness of Christ's love. Look at verses 17 uh, B to 19, it says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Here, Paul prays that we, being rooted and established in love, may be given the power to grasp the greatness of Christ's love. So Paul describes you know, the love in these four dimensions, you know, how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. He gives us a picture of this limitless dimension of Christ's love. So he's not praying that we might love Christ more. You know? Every time we say, Do you, we should love Jesus more, love Jesus more, love Jesus more. He's not praying that we love Jesus more. You know? He's praying that we will understand his love in our hearts. He, he's praying that we might you know, comprehend, perceive, understand, and experience Christ's love. Now, to, there's this story that I read. There was this story of a boy of about 10 years old who was very sick to the point of death. And because of that, he has, has to be hospitalized for several weeks. But thankfully, you know, eventually he got better and the sickness was no longer life-threatening to him. And because it was no longer life-threatening to him, the boy was then discharged and sent home to recuperate. One afternoon, the boy woke up from his sleep only to find his mother sitting beside his bed, quietly crying. The mother, who was the caregiver, you know, was kind of overwhelmed. And because she sees how the son is in pain, she, she's overwhelmed. So she cries quietly. And when the boy's... The boy, when he saw his mother crying, 
he realized how much his mother loved him. See, the tears were a tangible expression of the mother's love. Because, you know, very easily, you know, when we ask our children or, or whoever, uh, do, your mom, uh, do your mom love you? Yeah, la, I know, la, my mom loves me in my head, la, I know. And this is probably a 10-year-old boy, probably he knows that the mom loves him. But because he saw the tears, because he saw the tears, it was impressed in his heart that the mom loves him. You know, he witnessed his mother's love for him. Likewise, my dear friends, Christ demonstrated tangible love for us when he carried the cross and made his way to Golgotha. Of course, we were not there to watch it. But that's the truth. He did it. You see, we were all dead in our transgressions and sins. Remember? In a sense, that's our illness. That's our life-threatening illness. Sins and transgressions lead us to death. And out of his love for us, God gave us his son. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only begotten son. So that through Christ, we are made alive. Now, if that's not love, then I don't know what it is, my dear friends. And so just like how Paul prays, we need to also pray that we might truly grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep Christ's love is. And one of the ways we can truly grasp the love of Christ is by immersing ourselves in Scripture. Because Scripture is God's word to us. And if I could put it, Scripture is God's love letter to us. You know, in, just now I showed you the picture of the book, right? D.A. Carson's book. And D.A. Carson has this also to say from that book. And I quote, this is what he says in the book. One of his quotes in the book. He says, A genuine and deep perception of the love of Christ rarely comes to the person who is not spending much time in Scripture. A genuine and deep perception of the love of Christ rarely comes to the person, not that it doesn't come, but it rarely comes to the person who is not spending much time in the Scripture. Prayer accompanied by scripture will help us to truly grasp the greatness of Christ's love. Now, if we are to come back to this verse, we find the reason why Paul places such importance on knowing the love of Christ. If you look at the last sentence, the reason is because that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God means to be, to be all that God wants us to be. That's what it means. To be all that God wants us to be. It means to be spiritually maturing. 
And I use the word maturing because maturity is always a process. It's always a journey. I don't think some, a person can actually reach a point of time and just declare that I'm matured. Maturity is always a process, it's always a journey. And people often measure maturity by looking at the person's life experiences. You know, we often measure a person's maturity based, probably based on the level of education, uh, based on tradition, based on what the person has gone through in life. But Paul doesn't seem to think likewise. Paul knows that we cannot mature in our relationship with God until and unless we know the greatness of Christ's love. That's why he prays as he does. He wants us to grow in our grasp of Christ's love so that we may mature. Let us pray just like how Paul prays. Let us learn to pray. Don't just say it in our lips, but truly live that prayer out. Let us pray that we may grow in our experience of Christ's love so that we can mature. You know, we must have the right motive when we pray, when we pray for power. Paul's heart was right when he prayed for power. In fact, he prayed for power for the church. Power to be strengthened in the inner being. Power to fully comprehend the greatness of Christ's love. That was Paul's prayer. What about us? I've put two questions under think, reflect, and act on it for us to take home and reflect. And the questions are, what influences your prayer? Why do you pray the way you do? You know, what influences your prayer? And what do we focus on most of the time when we pray? Do we focus on our inner being? Let us pause for a moment and allow God to speak to us. And I'll close in a while.